Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Now, I want to remind us as we get into it that we are certainly following the life of a man who, who's in what I consider to be the proverbial uh, roller coaster of life, uh, maybe the roller coaster of a spiritual life. You know, one minute he's walking by faith and he's proclaiming the goodness of God and he's reminding himself of the promises of God. And the next minute he's heading to kill the entire family of somebody who insulted him. I would say that have to be an up and down, wouldn't you agree? And it's David's inconsistencies in his spiritual life that remind us about the fact of how realistic the Bible is. See, the Bible is a very real book. It is about real people. It is about a real God. And real people, if you haven't figured this out yet, real people have weaknesses. Real people have struggles. Real people have failures as well as successes, defeats, as well as triumphs. And while we have a very real God who, by the way, is perfect in every way, okay, God is perfect in every way, uh, he often deals with us or allows things into our lives that don't necessarily make us feel very comfortable. And so we realize that God in his perfection allows that. And as we come to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 27, we can look back and see in the life of David, there's been a lot of things about him that seem very impressive, honestly. Think back with me just for a moment by way of review. Uh, I mean, David uh, is a pretty impressive guy. There's been some incredible things that have happened in his life. If you go all the way back to when he was a teenager and he was instrumental uh, in killing the giant Goliath and rescuing his people, David had a powerful impact on every single person that he came into contact with. Constantly, he was a winner in uh, battles against Israel's enemies. And we know from 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, that he won the love and the trust of many people in Israel. And yet, even though King Saul, the reigning king, was obviously raging and jealous about him and trying to kill him, even though uh, he was trying to take his life, David showed incredible restraint in rejecting the vengeance or violence against the man that he still considered to be his king. If you remember that whole story there, I won't lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. But despite these moments of what we would consider to be greatness and impressiveness, what is also revealed to us in this book is that there was a darker side to David as well. The decisions that he made without the counsel of his God. The time that he deceived the priests of the Lord in the city of Nob. The regret he showed for his insulting of King Saul as he cut off the corner of his robe. If you remember how he was overwhelmed with regret because he realized what a poor decision that was and what an insult that was to him. And of course, as we saw last week, his violent anger against Nabal and his determination to take vengeance against him and his entire family. All of those aspects, all of those stories were very sinful and they were very wrong. If you remember last week, the only reason he did not follow through with what he intended to do was because of the intervention of a very courageous, prophetic, wise, and as scripture says, a very beautiful woman by the name of Abigail, who God used in his life to restrain him and to keep him 
from following through in those terrible decisions. And so we have the great highs of David. We have the great lows of his life. But yet as we fit, if if you were to walk through chapter 26, you would see again another highlight in his life where words like righteous and faithful are used to describe him. It's been so clear in our study that David was somebody that enjoyed the Lord's care. He enjoyed the Lord's protection. He enjoyed the Lord's enabling. And when David was at his best, get this, when David was at his best, he knew that. He believed that. He had faith in Almighty God. But as we come now to chapter 27, we reunite with David where we once again see him not at his best. (laughs) Again, we see another low point in his life where we see him in a bit of a downward spiral, struggling spiritually, struggling with his faith in God who had been there this whole journey. And this is why I said at the beginning that the Bible is about real people. It's about people with real struggles and real difficulties because even though you and I can sit here today and shake our heads at David's up and down journey, we are also guilty of living what I call situational faith. Situational faith. Here's what I mean by that. When things are good, our faith is strong, right? And when things are bad, our faith is weak. Situational faith. That's kind of how David is often. When things are good uh, and things seem to be going well, man, I got all the faith and all the trust in God, but when things are, 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 are difficult and we're struggling, we struggle to remember the faithfulness of our God. And David is in one of those moments. Just like many of us, when we are confronted with unexpected circumstances and trials, what is revealed out of those difficulties is how strong our faith truly is. And that's why those decisions that we make in those down moments can end up radically transforming our lives. And we're gonna see that pattern played out in the life of David today. What I want us to see this morning is that David is gonna find himself in a low point again. His faith is gonna be weak. And so because of his weak faith, it's gonna lead him to some destructive decisions that are gonna have some devastating and long-term consequences in his life. Now to set the stage for chapter 27, I do wanna reference chapter 26, just real briefly. We're not going to dig through it too much. And the reason is because it's almost an exact mirror of chapter 24. If you remember back to chapter 24, while David is in the, in, in Getty, if you remember, he's in the cave and he's hiding and Saul comes along and decides he needs to go to the bathroom in the cave. Remember that? And uh, David, in fact, though, he, the cave that he walks in is the very cave that David and all his men are hiding. And it says that they're on the side while Saul was doing his thing. And, uh, and David, you know, snuck up on him and he cut off that piece of his robe. And then later on he said, hey, I could have killed you. And really the, the big theme out of that is that David said to Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And then remember what Saul did? He repented, right? He said, I'm so sorry. You are more righteous than I. Uh, everything that you say is right. You're going to prevail. And they go their separate ways. And we're all like, oh man, great. Something good is going to come out of this. Well, then uh, we have the whole story uh, there with Nabal and Abigail. Well, chapter 26 is almost a mirror where David has an opportunity to take the life of Saul again. And yet he restrains from that. It's so interesting what I love about this. You remember the spear? Remember in, in the story, every time Saul has a spear, watch out, right? Uh, always watch out because he just loves to throw it at people. Well, what's so interesting is that in chapter 26, David sends some guys, they go down, they actually take the spear from his head. They're in such a deep sleep, God allows this to happen. They take the spear and then uh, David holds it up and says, hey, I could have killed you. I could have put this right through your head while you're sleeping on the ground. And Saul, once again, repents. He confesses his wrongdoing and he blesses David. Look at verse 25 of chapter 26. And Saul said to David, blessed be thou, my son David. That's his son-in-law, by the way. He says, my son David, thou shalt do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So again, it seems like things are going well. 
Man, this is amazing. Saul is repenting of his sin. He says, hey, uh, you know, you're going to prevail. You're the man. You're the one that God has, has anointed. And it's, it's really, to us, should seem like a high point. But then as we move into chapter 27, we're given some insight into David's thought pattern. And his thought pattern paints for us a very different picture of what was going on in his life. For us as outsiders, we're like, great, man, Saul's repented twice. Maybe this is the one that's going to take, right? It's going to take this time. But David is actually in a totally different thought process. And it's just a, re- it's a re- revealer of how we often are. Even in the middle of blessing, even in the middle of where God is obviously working, sometimes our mind and what God is doing don't exactly match up. And so we see that here in verse number one of chapter 27. It says, and David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Now we understand that David has every right to be suspicious of Saul's promises. Every time Saul said, hey buddy, come on back home, it's going to be okay, he'd try to kill him. So we understand the suspicion, and we even talked about that, you know, just because you've forgiven somebody doesn't mean that you trust them again and, and, and are around them. And, and David went his separate way. Maybe he was hopeful, but we understand that the conclusion he comes to here in verse number one, though, is puzzling to say the least. And this is where we come to the first thought from this passage that I'd like for us to get this morning. And that is this, wrong conclusions bring wrong solutions, Wrong conclusions bring wrong solutions. You might be thinking, what are you talking about, pastor? Okay, look again at the verse with me. I highlighted the words I want us to see. David said in his heart, I shall now perish. That word is only used three times in the entire book, and it's the idea of just, it's over. Nothing is gonna come from this. He says, I shall now basically disappear one day by the hand of Saul. And then notice he says, there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Now, there's two wrong conclusions here in this verse that David makes. The first one, he says, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. So you might think, what's wrong with that phrase? He says, I'm, I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me, is what he's saying. Okay, put it simply for you. Saul is going to kill me. Now, the question is, is why would David say that? Because honestly, if we look at his story... There is not one shred of evidence on which he could base that conclusion, is there? Come on, think with me. Nod your head if you're with me, okay? If, think, I know some of you are like, this is my first Sunday. This is the first message I'm hearing on this subject. Just pretend, yes, yes. Pretend like you know. There is not one shred of evidence in David's life that we've seen so far in our study that would prove that he's going to die by the hand of Saul. Hadn't God delivered David out of every single enemy that he had ever faced? Remember the lion and the bear that he boasted about as a teenager that God had rescued him from? Uh, The giant Goliath, of course, all of those battles that he had with the Philistines, even Saul, the crazy missions that Saul sent him on to try to make sure that he died, he survived and accomplished so many great things. Think about now, it's been seven years, we believe about seven years since he's been on the run from King Saul, and there's five or six different specific instances, and I believe there's probably more than that, that God rescued him from the hand of Saul. Remember when they're on one side of the mountain and Saul's on the other side of the mountain, and it's like, oh, it's over, right? Saul's going to get him, and what happens? The Philistines just happen to attack, and Saul has to go and take care of that. And God stepped in and took care of him in that way. And so the fact is that God had delivered him this entire time. So what is it that would make David think that God's protection on him would one day fail? Let's, let's be real. Let's ask that question. Did he think that God's protection is like, you know, it's luck? It's going to run out, you know? 
man, I got like this much protection, you know, shake it. I hope I got a little bit more in there, you know, protect me one more time, but then it's over. That seems to be what David is coming to. That's the conclusion that he's coming to. Another serious problem out of this is that obviously he has a wrong conclusion about God, but as well, he's ignoring the clearly revealed will of God. Do you remember how God anointed him as the next king of Israel through the prophet Samuel? I mean, that is God's will for his life. God had told them, and God does not anoint people to be king to have them killed by somebody else, and they never fulfill their purpose. So the first conclusion is like, Saul's going to kill me. It's over for me. The next conclusion that he has is that he says, there's nothing better for me, but I should just escape to the land of the Philistines. Again, what kind of statement is this? He says, there's nothing better for me. Do you know what he's saying? There is no good left for me. There is nothing good in this life. There is nothing worth continuing on for. And so he thinks that he should flee to God's enemies for refuge. (laughs) Now, this has put ourselves in his head for a moment. What what help did he think he was going to get from a pagan king? What, what, uh, what, what would be better with a, a wicked, ungodly nation than staying where God had told him to be? Which, by the way, God had said you need to stay in the area of Judah. So how did David come to these wrong conclusions? He says, it's over, Saul's going to kill me, and I better get out of town. I better go uh, with this pagan nation over here. Why did he come to these wrong conclusions? It's at the first part of the verse. I want you to say that highlighted part with me, right? It says, and David said in his heart. David said in his heart. Now for us today, we can be very cold and calculated sometimes when we read scripture. And we're sitting there in our comfortable chairs, you know, we've got our coffee and we're like, what an idiot, (laughs) right? We look at David, David, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? David, you should just trust God. He he has proven himself. You should remember all those past deliverances. You should uh, believe God's promise of, of, of you ultimately being king. You should have, you should have, and you should, but David didn't. Instead, he turned from what he knew to be true and began to rationalize false things in his own heart. And as a result of him rationalizing those false things in his heart, what happened? The problem of Saul grew larger and larger and larger and larger in his life to the point where he felt like he needed to get out of town. I mean, after all, Saul had all of the resources of the kingdom at his hand. He had the money, he had the men, he had uh, the spies. He was crazy, right? That's like definitely if you're going to try to kill somebody, you need to be a little crazy. And he had a lot of crazy he, he, he had everything. Why would he try to continue to fight against him? It seemed like Saul had the upper hand. I'm sure David was thinking, what am I going to do? I got to get out of here. There's no answers for me. I got to run. I got I to gotta hide. I got to get my men and my family. I got to get out of here. What is David doing here? He is allowing his fear of Saul to bring him to a wrong conclusion about God. So let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a wrong conclusion about God? Have you ever come to a wrong conclusion about who God is? You know, I realize that this morning there are many of you that are more than likely confronted with some difficult situations. Maybe you right now are feeling a bit overwhelmed. There's trouble in your family. There's a financial pressure. 
There's trouble at work. You're insecure about your job. Your rent is going up. There are friends that have uh, turned on you. Maybe there's a goal or something that you've strived for your entire life and it seems like it's slipping out of your grasp. Things are not going well. You feel like everything is going to fail and the temptation is this that comes. The temptation that comes is that you are going to lose your trust in God. You're going to choose to listen to your own deceptive and fearful heart. And maybe right now some of you have come to a conclusion already about God. Maybe you've come to a conclusion about yourself. You've come to a a wrong conclusion and right now you're believing a lie and, and like David, you're considering maybe even running away from the promises of God, running away from the place of promise, running away from church, running away from your faith, running away from things that God has so clearly placed in your life and it's because you come to a wrong conclusion. Because what you believe about a situation or a person so weirdly becomes our reality. Have you ever noticed that? It becomes your reality. And so because of your conclusion that God has forsaken you or God has left you behind or he's forgotten who you are, you've come to this conclusion and now you're living in that reality. And as a result, you're facing a decision to, a poor decision, I would say, to leave what God has clearly led you to. See, this is where David is right now. He's like what the prophet Jeremiah spoke about in Jeremiah chapter 17, where the Lord, he says, thus says the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man, meaning you're cursed if you trust in yourself or if you trust in men. Uh, and make flesh his arm, meaning you make your flesh or, or a person of flesh your strength. And whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like uh, the heath. That's like a shrub. A shrub with no trees is barely hanging on. Maybe a tumbleweed. Think about a tumbleweed. You're, you're like, it's totally, there's nothing there. And you will not see what good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Meaning you're headed to a dry place when you simply trust in yourself. In chapter, uh, verse uh, 7, just down a verse, he says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, David is living out verse 9 right here. He doesn't know what's going on. He's come to this wrong conclusion about God, about the whole situation. And so it leads him to find a solution. And I got to tell you, if you have the wrong conclusion, you're going to have the wrong solution. But as we continue, we also see that wrong solutions bring compromise. So David's at this point of decision. And for us, we often find ourselves in this way. When pressures and trials seem overwhelming, the first impulse of our flesh is to look for instant, quick relief. I need to fix this. I need to make this thing work out. I, I need to take care of this right now. Am I the only one? Okay. That's how we are. We'll, I, need, I need to fix this. I need relief from this pressure. I need this. We get stressed out. We get fearful. We say, well, God must not be paying attention to me, so I'm going to go ahead and take things into my own hands. Well, what happens here with David is that the solution he came up with, though, was a clearly spiritual compromise. Though, I will say this, in the moment, it seemed like a good decision. Let's continue on now in verse number two. I know we've only talked about one verse. (laughs) We'll move quicker now, okay? And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Verse three, and David dwelt with Achish at Gath. Some familiar names and terms here. He and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. By the way, his wife, uh, the daughter of Saul, had been given to another man. Saul said enough and he, and he gave his wife away. 
And it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, notice this last part, and he sought no more again for him. Well, there it is, right? Peace. He got what he wanted. Saul was leaving him alone. He went to the Philistines. He went to Gath, the home of Goliath, including where his other brothers lived. And he went over there with all of his people. You got to think at this point with their 600 men and their wives and children, they estimate around two to 3,000 people. So it's not a small group of people. And he shows up there in Philistia. He's welcomed in. And now there is a peace, but it is a false peace. Because now, though Saul is not pursuing him, David is out of the will of God. He has obligated himself. He has made himself accountable to a pagan king, but that doesn't seem to phase David at this point. Look at verse 5. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town of the country that I may dwell there, for why should thy servant dwell in a royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, Wherefore, Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah until this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So I want you to notice the terms that David uses here. He says, if I found grace in thy sight. Notice that David calls himself thy servant. To me, it is incredible to see that David, the giant killer, (laughs) is now seeking refuge and the approval and affirmation of the king in Goliath's own country. (laughs) What's going on here? Sometimes you have to ask yourself that question when you look at scripture. Like, what is happening here? How could this be? And the reason is, is because his conclusion about the whole thing, what he thought in his heart, led him to this great compromise. I believe that David in no way, shape, or form would ever put himself into this position, but he had convinced himself it was the only way. And I got to tell you, this is the great danger that we often find ourselves in. When, our, when things are not going our way, when we're struggling, uh, when our heart deceives us to think that God has forgotten us, he's abandoned us, the temptation always comes to compromise on your faith, to compromise in your beliefs, to compromise uh, on, the, on the word of God, the things that God has revealed to us and his truth. We find ways to compromise because of the, of the belief that we have, the conclusion that we have come to. And what is so amazing about it is that we think that we're trying to find peace, we're trying to uh, uh, find something that's just going to relieve the pressure or the stress that we are in, and so we make a decision that is outside of the will of God, but i got to tell you, compromise never brings peace. In fact, compromise will always bring more difficulty. That's our third thought. Compromise brings more difficulty. I'm going to read to you now verses 8 through 12. Uh, I'll give you this sort of this last half of the chapter. So David had requested a land outside of the main city. And so he goes there and verse number eight, and David and his men went up. So this is, they're settled now in this place called Ziklag. And David and his men went up and they invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites for those nations were of old inhabitants of the land as thou goest to shore even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, against the south of the Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David. And so will be his manner all the while he dwells in the country of the Philippines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, 
Therefore, he shall be my servant. What are those last two words? Forever. He's going to be my servant forever. Over the next 16 months that we know David was there in the Philistine land, David did what he knew to do. He got a base established. And then it says that he went out and began to fight against the neighboring peoples. However, we do notice he did not attack the Israelite communities. It says, and it gives us very specific, I didn't have time to get a map and everything together to show you, but he attacked everyone kind of on the, uh, on the Mediterranean seaside down towards Egypt. Notice there it mentioned Amalekites and, and uh, Kenites and these others that were there. He took care of all the ites, you know, uh, that were in that region. But when he would go and report to Achish, he would lie to him and say, I've been fighting in Judah. Did you, did you pick up on that? He, he was actually going and killing and, and wiping out these other peoples. But then when he go to Achish, he went up there and he said, I've been fighting against the Israelites. And that's what led Achish to say, he's going to be my servant forever because he's turned on his people. And so he would lie to him. He would kill everyone in those towns to make sure that no one would catch him in his lie. But hey, at least Saul wasn't around, right? Yeah, just wiping out villages, lying about it, making sure to kill everyone so no one finds out what I'm doing. But at least Saul isn't chasing me anymore, right? I mean, better to be a warlord for a pagan king than to trust God's will for his life, right? There's some sarcasm there, okay? <laughs> Please don't go out and do that, all right? Some sarcasm there. Isn't it amazing where compromise will take a person? Think about your own life and the areas of your life that you have compromised in. Things that you said, I'll never do that. I will never fall to that place. I'll never get to that position. It, my sin, that sin will never have that kind of stronghold on me. But yet compromise after compromise after compromise, and where do you find yourself? See, this is what we have here with David. He is so far into this compromise because of his conclusion. And eventually, as we're going to see here, it's going to catch up with him in verse number one of chapter 28. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with who? Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly, meaning you know this, this is a sure deal, bro. You shall go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. Everything just changed dramatically, didn't it? <laughs> changed dramatically. Now what is David going to do? He thought he was going to go to the Philistines to get some relief from his problem of Saul, and he did for a time, but now he's confronted with an even bigger, more difficult dilemma. If he says, no, Achish, I'm not going to fight against Israel, then all of Philistia will turn on him. If he does go out and say, okay, we're going to fight against our own people, God's people, the very people that I've been anointed to be the next king of, if I go out and fight them, I mean, how is he ever going to rule if he was leading an attack against his own people? Now, this is such an important point right here. See, the path that leads away from God's will is always, always more difficult than we intend. The path away from the will of God is always more difficult than we intend it to be. And once we head down that pathway of our own reasoning and of compromise and of, 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 of having that conclusion about God, which leads to us pursuing our own way and pursuing our own flesh, eventually you will be confronted with more difficult and trying dilemmas. 
See, David had come to a conclusion, not based upon facts, but based upon his fearful heart. And the result is now he is facing certain death. He was already facing it from Saul, by the way. And now he's facing it from the Philistines and possibly losing the throne forever by becoming an enemy of his own people. He is caught in the jaws of compromise. His sin had found him out. He had attempted to save himself, but now he's even in a worse scenario than he'd ever expected. It reminds me of an old phrase that my parents often repeated to me. <laughs> sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. You say, oh, that sounds nice. It kind of rhymes. Man, what a powerful truth. What a powerful truth. And those of you that have lived that truth out in your life, you know, you know the impact of that phrase. You know the impact of that phrase. You know that it does mean what it says. See, in the case of David here, in just a short amount of time, he went from seeing God honor his faith by delivering him from Saul to now destroying villages, killing and murdering people to maintain his value and productivity for a wicked pagan king. And it all started with him coming to a wrong conclusion about his circumstances, about his worth, a wrong conclusion about God's will in his life. And so he compromised. He chose a path away from God, which led to only more difficult circumstances. And the question for us today is this, where are you on this journey? Because at any point in your Christian life, you can find yourself facing some of these same decisions. There may be some of you that are here even this morning that you have already come to some wrong conclusions. And you have a wrong opinion about God. You feel like he has forgotten you, that he has left you behind. You're facing a trial, a difficulty, and you've come to the conclusion that God's not going to help you and that God's, uh, God's you know, not for you. And you've already begun to compromise a little bit, maybe even in a relationship, rather than sitting back and waiting on God's perfect timing and for that to come, you're, you're compromising a little bit on your integrity and on the decisions that you're making because you desire that so much. And I got to tell you, you might find peace for a time and for a moment, but it's not going to be lasting. Eventually, like David, you're going to find yourself in a more difficult situation than you are at this moment, meaning it's way more difficult without God than it is with God. And those of you that have tried to walk through trials and difficulties both ways, without God and with God, you recognize how much you need him and how it is so much better to walk with him. My challenge for us this morning is to simply trust God and remember the good that he has done for you. I think if David had just remembered the words of Abigail to him when she said, in verse 30 of chapter 25, she's, this is Abigail speaking, it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee. Meaning, man, if you just wait around, she says, I believe that all the good that's been spoken of about you is gonna come to play, gonna, gonna play out in your life. If David had just remembered that and remembered that God loved him, that he created him, that he walked with him and that God desired to see him grow and experience his peace and see God's will for his life come into that perfect place. I was thinking about Philippians chapter one and verse six that tells us that we can be confident of this very thing, 
that he which has begun a good work, that's the work of salvation in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, the salvation that you have, that you have confidence in, your confidence today, you say, I know that I'm saved and it's based off of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. If you know that you're saved, he says that confidence, that same confidence can remind you of the fact that God is trying to do good work in you. If you cross-reference it over to uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a verse that many people quote, and we know that all things work together for good, right? To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Down in verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or Saul, right? (laughs) What's going to separate us from God? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as uh, sheep for the slaughter. But he says, nay or no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him that loved us. I could continue in Romans 8 for next hour. (laughs) We're going to do that. But I share those verses with you to remind you of the fact that it's time for you and I to come to right conclusions about God. Not these wrong conclusions. We're very, we can find those very easily. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. He doesn't know what I'm going through. Why doesn't he fix it? Why doesn't he work everything out? But in reality, what we need to be saying is, God, I know you're there. You proved yourself to me in the past. You're going to prove it to me now. I can trust you. This is your will for my life. You've placed me here. You have me here for a reason. You've led me to this place for a purpose. And so I can trust you and I can know. And we need to come to those right conclusions about God. And you know what happens when you have right conclusions about God? You have right conclusions about yourself. You say, oh, you're just getting into some self-help stuff now, right, Pastor? The best self-help is God, by the way. (laughs) And when God says that you're loved and that you are forgiven and that he is with you, Man, hold on to that. That'll help your self-image a whole lot. We need to have right conclusions about God. That leads us to right decision-making. That's the alternative to this whole story here. God is for us. He's on our side. He's going to make a way. So there's no need to fear. There's no need to compromise on your faith. There's no need to compromise on your decisions or compromise on your integrity. There's no need to compromise on the word because God is faithful who will also do it. God is faithful who will also do it. And so we must come to those right conclusions. Avoid the pain. Avoid the difficulty of following after your own way. Learn. There's been so many of these uh, cautionary tales in the life of David. And though life is sometimes up and down and up and down and up and down, there is something that's always steady, and that is our Heavenly Father and His promises to you. So let's come to some right conclusions about our God. Maybe you're struggling with that right now. Maybe you are struggling with some wrong conclusions. And you've been, maybe this is your last chance. You're like, I'm going to go to church one more time. I'm going to read the Bible one more time. I'm going to, I'll pray one more time. Maybe you're right at the edge and you're, you're considering compromising and walking away. Can I remind you today, listen, just come back to the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Focus on Him and His will for you. And just trust Him. Just trust Him. Stop trying to find that instant gratification of peace in whatever way that you're trying to figure it out right now. Whatever way you're discontent and you're trying to to make it work, it's never going to be lasting, okay? This world is full of people pursuing peace in, in so many ways. 
in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's one thing after the other. It's, it's ice baths now, right? <laughs> it's going to fix me. Peace. Oof. It's cold, right? Oh, it just centers me. It just keeps me. What are they searching for? They're searching for peace. I mean, if you want to take a cold shower, that's fine, okay? That's great. I've tried it. It hurts. <laughs> but it doesn't give me peace. Only God can do that for us. And so refocus your attention. Refocus your thoughts on God and on Him alone. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.